0: Before we start with this final week of the series on the Holy Spirit, uh, because it was last week we shared a little bit with you, and I'm, I'm working a lot more in my own life just to give thanks when I see God moving in great and in small ways, and uh, I mean, even just getting to sit there and baptize three people and go, listen, their lives have been changed. I'm sorry, that's an amazing thing to give thanks for. I'm not even sorry, it's just awesome, and, and knowing that we get to see it at different ages. I think those little things during the week, I would be curious if you would be able to reflect, where has God moved, and how can I give thanks for that? Because we tend to run past it, and then there are those great things. So last week, we shared with you briefly just a story about a young man who was, we literally thought we were going to say goodbye to as his family was calling in the middle of the night, and we watched a miraculous turn of events, and that young man is now back home right now. Yeah. Yeah. And our prayers aren't over, man. We keep praying. God will bring complete healing in life. But we give thanks every moment and every step when he moves. And I found myself just praying a lot more for little and great healings. Everything from when someone tells me they don't feel well to a, an injury or a possible bad diagnosis. Man, we're going to gather around and ask. And I just don't want to miss that. I, I tell you that because we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. You asked for it. That's why it says that. Uh, And it's the idea that we've wondered, who is the Spirit? What's the Spirit's role in our lives? And we went through in these last five weeks, leading up to today, these different facets. We looked at what's traditionally become the Trinity. We looked with childlike wonder, saying, listen, we can't understand this, but we know God is both one, meaning it's one God, and yet at the same time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we began to look at the very life and presence of the Spirit in our lives. And where we want to finish today is, I hope, a place that brings it together for us to ask the question, what will this look like in our lives? Let let me start with this. It's something I regularly ask you, and so if you've been around, you'll know the answer I'm looking for. I hope you know it because you know it's true, but where does the Spirit of God live? In us. That's crazy, right? And we know before Jesus came, the spirit would fill people at times, but Jesus made it clear, I'm going to give you my spirit, he'll be with you and he'll be in you. And then we know at Pentecost, the very moment that this happened after Jesus said, you go and you wait, I'm going to give you my spirit and power that the spirit filled these early believers, baptized them in his very presence in life. That's a great thing that we believe that the spirit of God lives in us, but what's that look like and how do we do it? That's really the question we want to ask. What's it actually look like? If God's presence is in us, can we agree it could be better than it is right now? Could we agree that it's, this is not as good as it gets? That maybe we're missing something, and that's a hard thing to say because it makes us confess, could it be I've settled for less than? And what we want to simply look at today is what does it look like for you and I to live in relationship with God's presence inside of us as followers? Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can look and go, that sounds so weird to think God lives inside of you. And you know what I would say? You're right. It is weird. But it's a good weird. And what we want to know is see how it actually can happen and move. Because whether you think it's weird or not, when you see the power and the presence of him move, you don't care if it's weird. You just want more. And that's where we're at today. What might this look like? And I want to tell you of all the things we've talked about over these six weeks, this particular question has been one in my own Christian life and maturation process that I always find myself wrestling and asking God, what does this look like? How do I walk with you? What does this look like to have your presence in me and live this way? So I'm gonna take you to just one simple passage. We'll look at one other one alongside of it. And I wanna share a little bit too from experience as I understand, take it for what it's worth in that, but even from asking a lot of our questions because when you're a student of something, guess what you do? You ask a lot of other people, how's this for you? What's that look like? And I think some things that have seemed significant to me, I hope are helpful to you. So where we're gonna go is one particular letter that Paul writes to the church in Galatia. Now, when he writes this letter, and let me say this about it, because we've actually, we'd worked through the book of Galatians, this letter some time ago, but he's writing to a group of people that have gotten caught up in kind of rules and legalism, thinking they have to work hard for God rather than trust him to move in their lives. So there's a whole section in this letter where he's talking about how you live free, but when you live, you live in a way to serve others. And he talks specifically about the role of power and love in God's presence. And then he says this about how we're to live. He says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Now, I know that sounds simple and it hopefully makes sense. It's very simply this, if God's presence is in us, Keeping in step literally means to walk with, and that's a very common understanding for the early church and for the culture that Paul would have grown up in, that Judaism wasn't founded on simply believing certain things, it was walking and living into them. And so Paul is saying to us, the way we do this, this partnership of living in the Spirit means we walk in step with the Spirit, not slower, not faster, but in relationship. Sounds good, I'll just send you home, but let's agree, I don't know what that means, and in fact, what we tend to do is we tend to back up and get theological about it, and we even draw our lines and our camps over it. So for example, baptism of the Spirit is, is one of those issues that the church can tend to argue and disagree about. Baptism simply means to be immersed. We know that when John the Baptist, who's coming before Jesus, is baptizing people in water, the very activity we did, but the initial one was just for repentance, He says, one who's coming is greater than me. They will baptize you with the spirit and with fire, meaning Jesus. Saying, oh, baptism is connected, this water and spirit. Baptism itself is a work of God. So I just want you to understand this. I'm not going to spend a long time on it because I think think trying to talk theologically and just philosophically about it can take us away from practice. But I also don't want to miss that churches tend to argue a little about this. So, so one thing that every church would agree is when we become followers of Jesus, the Spirit lives in us, enters us, meaning the Spirit is in our lives. Now, there are some churches that look at a baptism as a second work, meaning beyond our salvation, the Spirit, the Spirit can baptize us in new ways. So, for example, our Pentecostal brothers and sisters would emphasize the power of it. In the Wesleyan church, in the past, we've typically emphasized the idea that you can ask Jesus to be your Savior, but asking him to be your Lord is another work of surrender, and think of it as the this, this secondary work. Now, I'm not espousing that. I'm going to come back to what I want you to think about this. I just want you to understand people argue about this. So if you'd like to not be productive and not actually think about walking and living, let's just argue about what it is, because that's what we tend to do. By the way, if you want to make a case for any of these different things, you probably can, because there's biblical examples of all sorts of things, and what it tells me is God moves differently. I am not about to tell you how this has to go. I would never dismiss someone's unique baptism of the Spirit. But I also would never dismiss people's experience of God all through their lives. And by the way, in case you don't know, I think God moves, that, they call it a second work of grace. I think God moves in an 1800th work of grace, in a 2023, and a 15. God moves again and again and again and again to fill us. We just may have more demonstrative times. Now, the other piece, just a couple other ones I don't want you to miss with the Spirit, is that the Spirit also is in the role of sanctifying us. Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's my very Spirit that brings that. Paul prays for this, that we'll be sanctified through and through. And the very simple answer to that is the Spirit's role is to actually make us more like Jesus. So one of the things I do get disheartened about is this kind of intellectual view of the spirit. Like, well, we all have the spirit. If I'm not doing better, the spirit doesn't want me to. Therefore, I'll just be better when I get to heaven. It's a a nice theological idea, but it really just goes, man, don't you think God wants more for you than this? So we're asking a different question. And let me take you to Paul, because I think he's probably the most helpful to our day-to-day practice. This is just one example of his prayers, which he prays this many times. He prays for believers, already people that have the spirit. Father, the Father of heaven, would you out of your richness give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation? That's the Holy Spirit, in case you don't know. And he asks them for us to understand more deeply. And then he says, could we be filled to the fullness of God? In other words, God, I know you've given him. Could you give him more? Could you give him more? Could you keep giving him more? So the biggest thing, to me, I firmly believe God's spirit gives us life and is in us. Could any of us say we'd like more than we have right now? I sure want to. And here's the thing. If we don't, what we're saying is that what we have is enough and we're doing fine. And I'm just looking at you and I just want you to know you're not. (laughs) And you can look back at me and go, seriously, you're not. And I go, no problem. I'm with you. So so what we want to ask is what does this look like? What does this actually mean for us to live by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit? What does this look like in an ongoing way to be helpful? Now, Paul, when he talks about this, gives us two examples of ways to live. He's always contrasting the flesh and the spirit. So he does this in this section. I didn't go back through all of it. I'm just going to summarize here. But he basically says, if we live according to the flesh, we live for ourselves, and we live in our own strength. That's simply what it means. But it also means sinful and broken. If we live by the spirit, it means God is doing something in us to change and transform. And then he describes the two different ways of living, how they're different. He says one of them is called the works of the flesh, meaning the things we achieve on our own. And here's the, here's the kind of words he uses. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These other words are in here too, which we tend to just read and go, well, I don't do those, so it doesn't count. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Maybe, maybe some do too, but I'm just saying we tend to look at those as extremes. And we say, oh, I'm not really in this place. I live a good way. We, but this is a result of our own effort. That's what he's saying. Now, the the results of the spirit are called fruit, not works, by the way. It's a difference. Pay attention to that. In case you don't know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says that's a result of a spirit-filled life. He's contrasting the two. Now, the problem is, you and I tend to do this this way, and we've even teached this in the church. Well, we should be more loving, so you need to go try harder. Go love more, go be more faithful, go be more this or that. We tend to treat these images, these words as what we're doing. But I want you to understand fruit of the spirit and even the fruit of work or the work of our own is a result. It's not the goal, it's the result. There's a common way in the marketplace, if you've done much strategic leadership or do much in your work environments, you may hear about lag measures versus lead measures. A lag measure is something that you can only show once you've done what you're supposed to do. It's the result you want. So for example, as a church, we go, we want to baptize 50 people this year, but if all we're doing is measuring that, we haven't asked how we actually help people to discover Jesus, which is what we do, right? The result is what we see, but if we say, "Well, we just got to baptize more people," we start running around and going, "Hey, you need to get baptized. Did you get baptized before? Well, I don't think it was enough. You should come again. Did you ever need to get baptized? You should get baptized now." I, I've watched this. I've watched people get baptized. I've watched them come here and I watched them go to four other churches and they keep getting baptized. Everywhere they go, like that didn't stick. I should take another one. I, I mean, it's just and. It's just the wrong idea that we're looking for the wrong thing. I want you to get the picture because we tend to look in the wrong place for the result instead of looking at what builds the life. Let me give you one more example. This one really, it hit me this last week. In Acts chapter 2, which is the early life of the church, There's this dramatic move of the Spirit, and they become uniquely and profoundly impacted, all these early followers. And one of the things it says is they had everything in common and they gave to everyone as they had need. In other words, they pooled their resources and helped each other. People who had more gave more, people who had less received some. Now you understand that if we just say to you, if you're really filled with the Spirit, you should do this. Nobody's gonna respond that way. You know how it happened? It happened because the Spirit was doing something and that was a result. So what I want us to move away from is these things are places we can do to evaluate, how's my life going? They're not what we work on, they're what we look to to say is it true or not. So let me pull back and just ask you a question. Take away our particular church, take away any church individually, just ask in general what the church is like today. If people look from the outside, do they see this or this lately? And let's be honest, we have a lot more of this than that, don't we? It's crazy, as I thought about this a lot, uh, I realized how unloving I can be to people. And it hits me, boy, I can't just work harder to become loving. All I can do is ask God to help me see people with his eyes and step out and ask him to meet me when I have to do it there's this crazy dependence and this crazy step that you take of effort. I want you to keep that in mind because we're going to look at one particular passage that Paul writes to the church in Philippi that I think encapsulates the struggle we have of what this means to keep in step with the Spirit. But it also gives us some both interest, understanding, and confusion. This is what he says to the church in Philippi. Listen, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, which this isn't even central to it, but I'm, I'm crazy the fact that they actually did what they're supposed to. I, I can't, can you imagine someone telling you, I'm just so proud of you. You really did what, what I asked. Way to go. That is not the way we are, is it? Hey, I just want you to know, as you've listened, when you feel like it's a good idea, and when you don't, you can do whatever you want. I, it's a Side note, no extra charge, but I just think it's very interesting that he's en- engaged at how seriously they took his teaching. Man, I want to follow what you're saying because I know you're following Jesus. Here's what he's telling you continue. It's an ongoing work to work out your salvation. Do it with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Now, I want you to see that this is a paradox. That's what I want you to see. Who does the work? Oh, you and I do. We continue to work out our salvation. We have effort in this, don't we? Oh, wait a minute. It's God who works in us. Wait, God does this thing. And I want you to understand this is the confusion of what it means to keep in step with the spirit. Is it his work or is it ours? Which is it? And you know what the answer is? Yes. But the hard part about it is what the root of that is and what that looks like. And this is what I've noticed both through a lot of interactions in my own struggles and I, I hope it's helpful to you because I think we tend towards one or the other that causes us trouble. And it may not be in every situation. So, so just for, consider for a minute those areas that you are very disciplined in, you're self-disciplined in. If you're that way, you're going to tend to bring that to the party and go, oh, yeah, God says it's our job. Listen, God gave me a mind, gave me a spirit, I should just go to work. I'll get it done. And what happens is you do it on your own. And it's very difficult to go, look, it is up to me. Yet What does Jesus tell us? Apart from me, you can do. You know what he says? Nothing. Well, then why are you telling me to do anything if I can't do anything apart from you? It's complicated. It's wonderful. But it's hard to understand. And here's the part I'm aware of. In the places we know we're competent and do well, we tend to lean on that and think it's us doing it. Like, that's the danger of us working out our salvation is we tend to think we're the ones working it out. Either we feel alone, like, oh, God needs to change. And when it doesn't go well, I've just... I've messed up. I've run into so many people over the course of the years, I'll hear they're trying to grow in their faith, and they sound just so burdened. Oh, no, I'm not doing well at this. I'm just reading more. I'm trying to get more of this. No, I'll I'll do it better. (laughs) Like, they just think if they try harder, it'll get them there. And they don't realize there's a dependence in this. They've leaned into their own strength. And that's the danger. As you're giving effort, you have to say, how do I do this in a way that's dependent? And what I've noticed is there's a few clues that'll tell you if you're moving in a bad direction. One of them is if you're doing well at something and you're doing it often and you think you're better than other people and you don't understand why they don't do it well, you're in trouble. And I'll give you a simple example from my life. And I am i mean, there are areas I'm more disciplined in, but one of them has not been my health or eating. I've struggled with that or I've enjoyed it, however you want to look at it. And about a year ago, I tried one of yet another opportunities. I. I tried this new application, which I think I've told you before about. But for the first time, I started to actually have a life change. And even, I mean, I've, I've lost 40 pounds, so I've kept that off, it's going so well so far. Now maybe next month you'll see me, I'll be back to a Weeble. I don't know, but I'm hoping not. <laughs> but here's what I found. About two months in when it was going well, I went, man, I'm good at this. I got discipline down. God must be looking at me going, Pete, you are one of the ones, way to go. And I went, oh no. I'm in trouble because I think I'm doing this alone, and I've forgotten that God's the one that's even helping me do this. I have lost a sense of dependence, and I'm working on my own. So I'm telling you, if you somehow either see yourself as better, or if you're in a place where you think, I haven't done enough, you're in trouble on the work side, on the effort side. Let me take you to the other side, the side of complete dependence where we love it hey jesus said apart from me you can do nothing i'm just gonna wait listen if i don't get better you should talk to the big man about it i know you wish i was better at this but it's not really my problem i tried can't do it god didn't change me good luck we give up yet crazily what are the things that jesus calls us to and the early church calls us to hey grow up in your faith you are called to mature hey guess what You need to help and serve other people. You need to sacrifice. You need to step out. Do you realize in every miraculous moment in history that God used a person, he didn't just say, I'll do it and depend on me. He said, take a step, do something because I'm gonna meet you in your human effort dependent on me, then I move in it. I just want us to get a picture. So if you're in a place where like, it's never gonna get better. I don't see any change happening. That also is a lie. And God may be inviting you into giving some effort. You may have to say, I don't know how to do this. But God's saying, step out and do something. Do do you see the two poles? I just thought, and and this is the difficulty I have with this, is you can't just say, here's the program, go do it. You know this is a relationship, right? So guess what? This will be an ongoing tension that you deal with. It won't be, oh, I figured it out, and I'm just going to do this with God. In this one area, you may lean towards dependence and not towards effort, and God's going to whisper to you, take a step. In this area, you may lean towards towards effort, and God's going to say, you are not trusting me in this, or it's effort on your own. You need my work. You need to realize that the best of you isn't enough to do this. The only things that last are when I'm in it. And it will vary back and forth and back and forth. See, that's what I found is you can't tell people just do this or that. It's a relationship that has tension, and it's different for every one of us. There's dependence, and there's effort. And all of it is rooted in God's presence and power. Now let me show you one more thing that I think is important before we get to kind of how we walk into this. Let me go back to the passage. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You realize this is not because you individually live by the Spirit, because you individually then keep in step. It's us. It's collective. It's a we. You see that? So just go, we. Just kidding. You don't have to do that. Just sounded good when I said it here's the deal. It's not just you and Jesus alone. It's you and me together in Jesus. And by the way, when you struggle between dependence and effort, you need me. When I'm struggling between dependence and effort, I need you. When I'm stuck, I need you. When you're stuck, you need me. In fact, I want you to say it. I need you. Say it again. I need you. Say it one more time. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. I want you to say you really need me. Truer words could not be spoken. I want you to understand this is something God does with you individually, but it's something he does with us together. And it's one of the saddest parts is we're so isolated, we've missed the impact of us together learning and growing and helping and walking with. That this thing is a partnership, but it's a partnership together, not just alone with God. He wants to move in us, not just in you and not just in me, in us. Altogether, he said, I need you, I made you to be in community in this thing, and the way it 's going to be changed is as we work together in this it 's a simple idea, but profoundly nuanced to walk in. We walk in the spirit with the spirit, independence and effort, like we need both. I, I want to give you a very simple picture of this that I, I think will be helpful uh, it 's uh, This one Christian author writes specifically about this picture of eagles and kind of the beauty of looking at an eagle as it relates to this. So in case you don't know, eagles are written about over 30 times in the Bible, meaning God has something unique he wants to teach us, even just through that. But one of the things you may or may not know is when eagles are born, they obviously don't fly, they don't initially, but as they get to their second month of life, typically these little eaglets, that's what I've decided they're called. I don't even know if it's true. I didn't bother to look it up, but it just sounds good. Baby eagle, eaglet. Okay, good. You can tell me later it's something else. I don't care. Eaglet's sticking for me. Anyway, when they're little, they begin to sense, God's given them a wiring for that, what's called thermals, which is air that brings up, and it's warmer air, and as it comes up, these thermals, cool air goes down. That's how it functions. But what they begin to do first is just spread their wings. It's almost like their body's some, you need to get ready. You need to learn what a thermal is. You need to learn how this wind comes up. By the way, do we know one of the words for the spirit is wind? Just thought I'd let you know that, trying to telegraph exactly what I mean by this. So here's what eagles do. When they get to about four months, they start to get ready to step out of the nest. And when they do, they step out and they drop, and guess what they do? They flap their wings. They give effort, a lot of it. And if that's all they get, they just keep going until, guess what, a thermal hits and it creates a uplift for them. Now the crazy part is it doesn't just happen in the moment. The way we see eagles soar around and fly is they learn to capture those thermals and live in them. And their effort in their wings changes dramatically because now it's working under the guidance and the movement of this beautiful wind, and the effort is working in tandem with it to give a new life and a new way of soaring. That is a picture of dependence and effort. You see, effort on our own is just flapping our wings, just flapping in the air, hoping we can stay up. And we can. And some of you, you're great flappers. You'll probably achieve a lot more than most of us will. And you can look at how you've done things in your life and go, listen, I've accomplished an awful lot flapping. And we go, more power to you, you tired flappers. <laughs> but here's what we would say is, that's something you do on your own. And if it leads you to find yourself better than others, you've flapping for nothing. Because God has so much more to go. guess what? find the wind of my presence and be dependent on that. And you will learn to be lifted in ways you cannot, to walk and soar in ways you cannot alone. I mean, I I look and go, I think we're people that have been flapping and walking a lot. And I think the spirit wants to breathe into us His wind to live in a new way to soar. And that brings transformation and maturation and growth and presence that leads to other people's lives we just can't settle for where we are. It is built around dependence and effort. And when we truly begin to do this, we soar in the wind of the spirit. Like I think God just has a lot more for us. And I believe that in my own life, but I believe it for you guys so much more. Like can you imagine if you and I get this, that we learn to actually live in the spirit, live by the spirit and walk in step with the spirit. It's literally just discovering the wind and the dependence to give effort where the Spirit leads and how the Spirit leads. Profound. It's not alone. It's together. Now, we want to give you a very practical application moving forward in this, and it's something we've been working on in our own lives as leaders and as our board and our staff and even some of our leaders early on we've introduced this to because we believe the word. this is founded, the way we first learn it and live it is through abiding, in other words, the more we discover who Jesus is, the power of his love, the presence of him in our lives, the more we discover and grow in the very ways of the Spirit. And so what we're doing is we've created kind of a way to think about this, that we, we look at it from an abiding in Christ process and say, just like anything else, we want to grow in this. We want to learn, as the Eagles did, to become more attuned and excellent. And we want to live this way. Now, we're going to give you these cards on the way out. On one side, the the other side we're going to use next week as we look at living missionally. In other words, how we live out from this. But I want you to see it this way. If you consider where you are today, would you go, you know what, I'm at a one or a two. It's really low for me. In other words, I don't really have much interest in God's presence in my life or practices. Just be honest if that's where you are. Maybe you're moving along and you go, you know, I, I practice. I come to church once in a while. I, I have some interest in learning, maybe even considering a personal practice. I'm moving in that direction. You move a little further into five or six. Hey, I'm actually starting to do some things to practice. And by the way, these are the practices we've asked of you. I don't want to miss this. We've asked you simply to start engaging in reading scripture. And what we say about that is we learn to hear from God through the reading of it. Not we check something off the list, but we're giving effort and a desire for the spirit to breathe into us, knowing Jesus. And then the the second one we say is to learn to pray and intercede, asking God to intervene in our lives and the lives of those around us. What if it's a simple practice that you go, boy, I'm anxious about this today. You know, instead of just sitting here and ruminating about it all day, maybe I'll ask God to move. Maybe as I'm worried about someone else, maybe as I see something going on, I'm going to intercede. The next one is worship, that we give thanks and adoration to God. It was interesting. I asked a couple people recently that were having some pretty significant difficult times, what they were doing to help them through it. And they said, you know, it's crazy, but I will literally just turn worship on in the room and somehow peace comes on me in the midst of it. Like when I'm actually focusing on who God is and it's being sung around me, even if I can't sing, something happens. And then the final one we say is silence, giving God space to speak to you. That in this busy, chaotic world, if you learn these things, it's a way to put effort into the areas that the spirit can breathe life into us. So we say, I'm growing in that. You get to seven and eight, you're growing in the practices, and you can report with them, you're growing closer to God. You get to nine and 10, you're actually seeing the fruit and the result of God in your life. All I'd ask you is where you are today, and I'd ask you to say, what would move you one notch over? What's one step you could take to move in some way, some practice towards God that would help you become closer to Him? That's all we're asking. But here's what I am asking. Not only you'll do it, but you'll tell others around you what you're doing. So you're gonna leave. You're gonna have this card. It's gonna have all these things on it. You get to go, God, where am I really? You get to decide how courageous you'll be to tell someone. And then you say, what are you gonna do? One movement for you. Because God is calling you to take an effort. It'll be rooted in him and he'll need to move. But he's saying you need to take a step. You can't just sit here and think it's gonna get better if you sit and do nothing. So I'm asking you, Hey, we spent six weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. And I've heard from a lot of you, listen, God's doing something in my life. Now it's time to do something with that. Take some step. And we'll keep talking about this in the months ahead in other ways. But I wanna encourage you to take that card and do something. And I'm gonna pray for us with this in mind. But before I do that, I don't wanna miss asking anyone who's with us, if you're not a follower of Jesus... Maybe you're going, man, this is overwhelming. So God, I, I receive him, I get his spirit, and then I live, and he's gonna help me in a new way. And my answer is very simply, yes. I mean, I'll say what I say to my friends who I love deeply that are many of them in process of look, moving towards Jesus. Man, don't wait. Why would you not want to receive forgiveness? Why would you not want the God who died and rose again to be your savior and your Lord? Why would you not want his very presence in your life Because he gives us his spirit and then gives us a new life to soar and help others discover it. So I would just tell you, if you're interested, man, respond today. And I'm going to invite us to pray together now, wherever you're at in this. And we'll respond this way. Let's pray. Lord, I pray specifically for anyone here who's just been lingering around or just asking questions, whether they've been here for a long time or just at the beginning God, would you help them not settle for where they are? Would you even remind them, reveal to them how you love them? Would you give them a revelation of how much you love them to die for them? And then, Lord, I pray for each one that they would respond, Jesus, I want your forgiveness. Jesus, I want your presence in your new life. And, Lord, I'm asking that you'd fill them even now. Give them a token of your presence. Lord, I pray for the rest of us who do follow you. I confess on behalf of all of us, we have settled for something less. And Lord, we just confess it. We don't want it to be less than what you have. God, I am not asking for one moment to fix it. I'm asking for one installment of an ongoing process of your filling, your friendship, and your wind. But would you give people what they need today? Would you give them a desire, Lord, to want you in the day-to-day life and not just big moments? would you begin to breathe the wind and the warmth of you into them? That they would discover how to be dependent in their efforts and dependent where they can't do anything. Oh Lord, I am crying out that we will become part of your church that's soaring by the power of your spirit. I do pray for the results of the fruit of your spirit. I pray for results with people that love others in ways that don't make sense. I pray for results that help us to love where there is hate, that help us to live where there is hostility, that help us to pray blessing, where there is curse. God, to be people of your power that we see you move in signs and wonders to reveal Jesus to others. We simply ask you to breathe into us now. I pray this in your name, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen.